Oh man. Um, y'all can't see what we're doing in in these rooms or whatever, but radio, not television. Radio, not television. But uh, Chris, say that one more time, Chris. Ventriloquists. We're all ventriloquists. Really good. Just trust us. We're excellent ventriloquists. Absolutely. Um, Chris was just pantomiming a piano during that middle section. I think he does stuff like that just to make me laugh as as, as it's you're starting. starting. Yeah. yeah. Throw off Abs- the beginning. Absolutely. What? <laughs> We're kind of trying a new thing um, today. Uh, Paul and I are here, but Chris is actually joining us via a Zoom call. So. Um, if his voice ducks out, that's what's going on. Hey, we probably ought to, for those few people who, uh, who get this and listen to it really in depth, they might appreciate understanding why we're dividing up group meetings again. Oh yeah, absolutely. Why don't you talk about that? Just, just because it isn't because we're any of us afraid of coronavirus getting it or whatever, but we realize that the way our staff meetings go, if one person Got coronavirus. Not even got coronavirus. Yeah. If one person was in a 14-day quarantine because someone they, you know. Were in direct contact with. Yeah, we're in direct contact with came. Then we we could all be in yeah. a 14-day, every single staff member. And we realized that's not very wise. That 100% of our staff being out for two weeks would not be a good idea. So the decision was to break up group meetings kind of as a designated survivor uh, <laughs> mindset. So absolutely. So if a terrorist blows up my house, y'all survive. But if they blow up the church, I survive. There you go. Yeah. Yikes. Anyways, yeah. Yeah. But for coronavirus, not terrorists. The, yeah. Coronavirus, the, the new terror. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, so we um, we we want to start off this this podcast um, reminding y'all as we as we continue in Daniel five about the importance of listening to your mother. This <laughs> this message brought to you by the letter M for mother. <laughs> oh my goodness! You can be surrounded by paid wise men, and still. The person you should be listening to is your mother. Mm-hmm. That's just a good reminder. That's not bad, and it, it is. Why do you do you guys think the wise, all the quote scare quote wise men around Daniel? Do you think they had just in the what about eight years, nine years, not more than twenty five years, about twenty five years at the max mm-hmm. since Ezer had Daniel just. Drifted into the background? Did it? Had he just? Had he vanished? Did they not know who he was? Did they remember exactly who he was and were still jealous of the power he had with Nebuchadnezzar? Like, what do y'all think is the story of that twenty-five year gap in relationship to Daniel? Yeah, I think that there's something related to you know the opportunist mode again of these wise men of like, oh great, now if we can show up and do something and finally get one of these right, you know, finally get one off of Daniel's belt back onto ours. You know, that'll be helpful. Um, I, I imagine that. I imagine that they're they're certainly willing to step in. Um, I, I think it's also probably interesting, you know, that we, we made this comment about the mom stepping in. Uh, obviously, she's just identified as the queen, but we're 
probably rightly seeing her as the queen mother, not right. just the yes. queen wife. And uh, and it's clear that she comes into the banquet hall. She's not Correct. a part of this banquet. Um, yep. And really, neither are these wise men. They are acknowledged, too, as coming in. So they're outside being called in because of this this trouble. Um, and, I, and I have this, you know, also kind of suspicion of, well, why, why isn't Daniel called in? Well, maybe he's not called in because it's the very banquet that was designed to humiliate his God, you know, that was designed to, to and not, probably not just humiliate his God. It's probably an agenda to humiliate other gods because some of, you know, some of the backstory that you were talking about on Sunday with the history lesson um, is, you know, one of the things that we do know of, uh, of Belshazzar's father is that Belshazzar's father um, was a, uh, an advocate of the moon god Sin. So uh, Nabonidus really liked, uh, kind of deviated away from this Bel Marduk side of what Nebuchadnezzar promoted and was really promoting uh, the moon god Sin. That's where those who think that he's a more of a monotheist would put on claim that it was Sin that he would, or Sin, that he would be uh, uh, solely a proponent of and and that probably comes to why they were able to get Mm -hmm. belshazzar into place and why there's so many people who are angry um you know through this very soap opera dramatic overthrow after overthrow after overthrow um following nebuchadnezzar and so this banquet very much may be the banquet to humiliate all gods except except for yeah seeing the moon god and so uh that may be the very reason why the goblets are uh, and the chalices are ca- are drawn out, and they're drinking from them as an embarrassment to uh, the Jews. To like, all these are really nice, yeah. And also, we're going to drink out of them in honor of someone Every, other than mm-hmm. even even the even the not just the wives and the queens, but the concubines and like that was a that list is there to show this. It's not like it was just the holy people or it was just the Royal people doing this. It was yeah. everybody at their turn with the sacred cups, so to speak. So yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And so, yeah, it so is, if it, it's just the ironic thing of, you know, yet again, how reminiscent of this back even to chapter two, I mean, here we have yet again, uh, the man's authority trying to, downplay God's power right um, and and at the very event where God's power is supposed to be thwarted yeah now the only way to to reveal it is to call in God's man uh, and to reveal ultimately again what God is in control of yeah absolutely but the um, I think the the question I mean it makes sense to me that new king new guy in charge he's he's got his people that he listens to. Um, and, and, you know, we're some years removed from the last story. We're some years removed from Nebuchadnezzar, um, inside of this. And, and I, I think it's, there's, there's in my mind, there's no way that the wise men don't know who Daniel is, but in, in their minds, probably he's like, that's old news. Like, that's like asking the, the last, you know, president's chief of staff to inform this president. Um, you don't, you don't do that. You know, you have your people, um, and stuff like that, but you know, there's mom saying these losers don't know what's going on. Right. If you can think back 
to your father, Nebuchadnezzar, your, you know, whatever Nebuchadnezzar, your uh, Probably. predecessor. Right. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, like, he, he faced some things that he could not explain, some mysteries. It's actually written on the... That's right, on the plaque. On the plaque. <laughs> yeah. It's just that, you know, our, our parents, and especially our mothers, and, and just our parents in general, I guess, are great reminders of things that we overlook easily because we... It's not right in front of us, and that, I think that's a that's a mistake that most of us children make at some point. You know, that's a good it's a good word. Clearly, I don't think this is the main point here, but it's a good word to remember that even as we even as we do progress forward in positive ways, grow and improve and change and mature. It's, it isn't that we need to throw out and ignore all the voices and the wisdom of the past. Mm-mm. There's Those two things don't have to be in competition with each other to say there are things to learn from the past. There are wise voices in our elders, and also there are things to grow and learn and change in. I don't, I don't know that I would even may bring that up as a topic, but it is interesting as we're sitting here talking about it that that kind of came to me that here we have, like you said, the new – the young, the prince of the kingdom. Maybe he's surrounding himself with mostly young advisors and which is good, can be good, has a good factor to it, but then either they don't want to engage with the voices of the past or they have forgotten to or whatever, but the queen mother seems to know. And, and Daniel is actually before this whole section is done, Daniel is actually going to lecture Belshazzar on that exact issue if there's, if there's any of the kings that Daniel engages with that he isn't just extremely deferential to, it's Belshazzar. Um, he's definitely more edgy with Belshazzar than any of the others that we see him engage with. Um, That's an interesting point, for sure. Yeah. He does clearly not have the respect for Belshazzar that he had for Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, that's, that's obvious here, but it is intriguing. Um. Okay, one of the things we talked about in the last sermon that I was curious on y'all's thoughts on um, is that I feel like when I do research sometimes on some of these things, either in the scientific world or the historical world, what we find is because, because the answer, and the answer that involves God, is taken off the table before it's considered. So the materialist mindset or the naturalist mindset, which says you know, only, only things that can be empirically tested exist. Um, and since we know that, since we know there is no God, since we know there are no miracles, therefore Daniel had to be written between 100 and 200 AD, because if it was written in 600 AD, then there was a miracle involved. Then there is a prophet. There are prophecies that no one could possibly tell that accurately. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just curious y'all's thoughts as we, you know, cause there's a danger to coming to scripture, for example, with a preconceived notion or with many in the way of preconceived notions at the same time, it is intriguing to people who can dismiss whole sections because, well, this is not, we know it's not this, even though they have no evidence that it's not that, except that they just don't believe it can be that. Well, and we're all coming with preconceived notions 
and and so many of them are something that we can't like we're uh what do you call it are you thinking like a bias um yeah like a bias um that it's there there are things that we just know to be true um that we assume are true it's like predispositions yeah predispositions that are that are like the water that we're swimming in we don't really oh yeah we don't even know it we don't perceive them Mm -hmm. um but being able to perceive them is a is a uh, virtue like that's something that you want to be able to try and a work of i feel like the holy spirit in illuminating his scriptures and so i think that's one of the things that you know is is always uh a good thing that as we enter into god's word to um pray and to go before the lord and request of him to reveal those very things the things that he's trying to uh, point out where our notions our thoughts our dispositions our biases anytime that they're not in a line with scripture that's what needs to be revealed and yeah and it is but it is a hard you know kind of line when it when it's really tempting to to read into something you know almost in the same way that we just took the you know a virtuous lesson in a joke a jovial way about listening to your moms you know that's that's not what this passage is is teaching no um and again it's not wrong to to dwell on those things or to have you know scripture spur into positive thoughts especially when they're affirmed by other scriptures right um but when you you know when you when you have kind of a oh it would be much easier if it reads like this (laughs) uh or okay so the you know loving of the neighbor you know when i get to choose who my neighbor is yeah, yeah you know and again when we when it's that side of, of what we're doing when we're coming at it with our flesh uh, and then trying to interpret it based on our flesh to fit the needs of our flesh and to accommodate us. Um, yeah, that that's a dangerous place. And and we've seen that obviously in history. I mean, we've oh seen my goodness. In, uh, American church. We've seen it in the historical church. Maybe uh, the Southern Baptist church. Yeah. I mean, I think any, any church I think we've seen and we've had yeah. faults um, in where we've taken, taken again uh, a position we wanted to have uh, yeah. And then said, "You know, it'll make this stronger." Well, here, let's, some scripture. Let's find, you know, kind of find <laughs> our way through and and bolster this up when maybe it shouldn't be bolstered on that. And folks, that's called proof texting. That's right. That's what. That's the. I would. That's intriguing because it is interesting. Looking back, and and we do see it. And here, you, I don't know if you guys, I I have one of those uh, internal processes that asks like, where am I doing that now? And don't realize it. You know, what is it that, that 50 years from now, Baptists are going to look back and go and think of the same way about us that we thought about that. We look back and go, the Southern Baptist convention split largely over slavery Mm -hmm. because they believe the Bible taught slavery as appropriate. And that, you know, many that after that black skin people were inferior what are we doing now that might be that wrong that 10 or 20 years? And of course we assume nothing. We can't, I mean, if we knew it, <laughs> right. And it's like, that's a, that's kind of a, I don't know if scary is not the right word, but it's a humbling thought to me to think there were men and women 150 years ago and still 40 years ago. Smarter than me today, right. Who knew scripture in ways that maybe I don't who were convinced of some of these things. I don't think they were 
lying, I think they were convinced. Now, it, it was handy. It was handy because, you know, their livelihoods of them and their people in their church were dependent on slaves or whatever. It's always when something, when a, when a message serves you, you always got to be a little bit suspicious of. Mm-hmm. But I remember, so I don't know if y'all have ever faced this, but I had a, a gentleman, a, a brother in Christ a long time ago, 15, 20 years ago, tell me that my belief about the ability of Christians to defend themselves against attack was unbiblical. And so physical attack, physical attack. Yeah. Like I shouldn't have, shouldn't fight back. I shouldn't punch somebody who punches me. I shouldn't protect my family. I shouldn't shoot somebody who's trying to murder my family. Like that. That's wrong. That very extreme version of pacifism. That's right. Okay. And so, and so he said, you need to, you need to set aside all your preconceived notions and go to scripture without the right answer in mind in advance. That's probably the hardest example of that for me was trying to set Mm -hmm. all those years of growing up out in the woods of, of being raised by the family I was raised in of taking and training other people in self-defense, like setting all that aside and trying to go to scripture. And so uh, have you guys faced something like that where you've had to sp- I mean, it took me months of study to, to feel like I could honestly answer what I believe scripture taught or at least what, what space scripture gave, which is really how that answer turned out. Um, um, y'all have- mine probably doesn't come from like a challenge of, again, maybe, maybe outside influence or raising, or really, I think more of like the first time I had it was, you know, the questioning of just always what I thought, was told to me when it was true. And so kind of the concept of, well, two plus two is four. And so it's always four, you know, and I've never really even really cared what, why the two and why the other two have (laughs) to make the four. It's just, it's just four. Right. And so I think there was a lot, uh, especially into going into kind of my college years um, that face kind of that notion of, well, then what, what about this doctrine or why is this doctrine true? And it was kind of like, well, it just, it just, it just is because, it that's is. what the Sunday school teacher said, or that's what, you know, I've heard my whole life. Um, and, and People I think I trust said that. Mm-hmm, yeah. Or, or, and then really a lot of it was kind of for the first time of like, wow, smart people think differently. Like there's another option. Like I, cause I think with a lot of those, it wasn't like I was raised with, well, there's, you know, there's this view and then there's this view and then, you know, and here's why we think this one's stronger. Here's the strengths of the other one or the opposing one. And for the first time I was like, oh, there's actually some there's some good arguments on the other side of what I've always been told true. And so again, having to step back from that lens of, Oh, well, this is, I'm reading this and assuming, well, this is what it's meaning before I'm actually taking in consideration of, Oh no, no, no. What, what is actually the the scripture saying first? And then let me come. And and I think that was in a, a wide array of issues and of doctrines. And then probably the one that hit, probably most closer to home was the first time to have uh, good friends um, reveal that they were coming and living a lifestyle other than a heterosexual lifestyle when that are various forms mm-hmm. and having to go back and saying, mm-hmm. okay, let me look, let me look and see what this is. Yeah, that was definitely mine. And I think Chris, you know, you and I have shared this sentiment about, um, cause really even with that one, with the idea of, of what does the Bible really say um, about homosexuality or about other lifestyles um, and, and that one probably ranked probably number two on this, 
uh, for me personally, for being one of those ones that I'm like, and I kind of, I kind of want to be wrong. Like I kind of yeah. want that to, I want scripture to kind of say, yeah, love everybody. That would be a Man, ma- that would make life so much easier, easier right now. answer. And I think yes. the one that kind of tops it even more than that is universalism. Yeah. Is I really do. I really want everybody to just end up in heaven like that. If, if it was up to Paul, that's the way I think I would work it out. And it, but here I am going to scripture and saying, but I can't give myself that. I can't right. give myself what I want this to say because it just it just isn't there. Right, and and understanding that like when it came to the the question of especially um, homosexuality for me, like I I I wanted to I, I actually that that made me very willing to throw aside preconceived ideas. It made yeah. me very willing to be like, okay, all all of the things that I've been taught off the table. What does this say? Um, yeah. Because I, I mean, I I would say there was there was a point in my life um, where I was borderline desperate um, to be able to change my um, viewpoint, um, yeah. to be able to change what I had always heard. Um, I I really wanted um, to be able to do that, and I I could not. Um, mm-hmm. I can't. I, it's not. It's not something that. Um, that makes sense to me, even from a starting from zero point um, to be able to say like, no, this is love is love. Love is not love. Like we, (laughs) yeah, well, and, but love is not love. The way that we choose to say love when we're talking about pizza um, and then say that that's the same thing as love that we're talking about you know, God's love for us. You, you're, you're, you're conflating ideas that are so incredibly different. One is so self-serving and the other one is so sacrificial. Yeah. Um, and we, it, they come from totally different places. They mean totally different things. And so being, it, you know, just the idea that, um, one love is exactly the same as another is, is not true. Um, and so then it's, uh, easy, not easier. It is, uh, possible to understand, I guess, um, that there, there are parts of this that we don't understand. We want to understand. We want to think that we know what that is, but we don't actually know what that is. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know what, um, all is involved there. And, we're told pretty like pretty plainly that we're not supposed to cross these lines. And I don't, I don't see those as, I I mean, I'm intrigued by people that can read it as uh, cultural at that point, because the list that it's put in is not cultural. Unless you're willing to say that thieves aren't thieves. And um, yeah, that's, We've said before, and we have the three of us have talked about that. That I mean, when a new book comes out defending the homosexual acts, homosexual lifestyle, yeah. not the attraction, but the lifestyle, biblically, man, I go grab it and read it because I would love to be convinced. It's I just can't find it. That's interesting because I think for me now that I'm thinking about it in seminary, what you're describing, Paul, about going, oh. Mm-hmm. 
me, that was probably the book of Revelation was having Dr. Lee not agree. His opinion on the correct interpretation of Revelation was different than the one I'd grown up with all my life. And so just him revealing that like this graph that I had grown up with put on overheads and churches all my life. What, what it was, it's going to look like. <laughs> I mean, like it, it might be right. But I think, I think in my brain, I was so convinced. I just didn't even know there were other interpretations of some of that. And I just thought there was like somewhere in the Bible, probably a fold out page that showed the, well, here's the rapture and here's the wedding feast. And here's the three and a half years. And here's, it's right after the book of maps. That's right. At the, at the end of the Bible. And so, <laughs> the book of maps. So I was, that was, you're, de- you're right. One part of it was, the, that was definitely a scare, almost a scary eye opening was realizing, you know, this guy right in front of me has forgotten more than I will ever, ever yep. know about. And, and his view is not the one I grew up with. And then, and so, you know, Dr. Lee, you'll appreciate Dr. Lee had to, he had got, he got diagnosed with cancer, had to leave the last third of our class and who he sent in to teach our class afterwards had a totally 100% different opinion than he did. He got a guy from DTS to come teach our class and they were on a hundred at hundred percent different opinions on revelation. So that was even as cool as that was, it was also even more like, Oh my gosh, like yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have, both of these views well enough to get through the first two thirds of the class. And now I've got to get the other view totally to, but it was, it was again, a good reminder that that's who he got. He didn't find someone who just agreed with him. He got, um, yeah, that, all- that who we, who we trust in terms of scripture might not be determined by, uh, the end result, like the, the, the conclusion that's drawn but more the the seriousness and the uh, rigorousness with which they have studied, and um, um, that we can we can have opposing viewpoints on something, um, and that doesn't mean that we don't respect or love or um, trust or any of those things, right? Which is definitely not what we see in the social media world. If you don't believe the exact same thing. If you didn't come to the exact same conclusion as me, we're not allowed yeah, we to be no, friends. This disagreement equals hate. Yeah. Yeah. Or oppression. It is interesting. You know, the classical view of tolerance was, I disagree with you, but I will fight to defend your right to I disagree with what you said, but I will fight for your right to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's now that has been lost. The classical definition of, of that has been lost. And now, sadly, and that's one of the things I want to continue to fight for at our church and for Christians is that we don't fall into that. We, we, we don't fall into that. You have to agree with me before we can start talking. Right. And I think that's a poor and anemic way to engage with anything, anything. And I don't, I don't want that for us. Anyway, this, this, that, that concept of, it just has been so disconcerting when I read, because I like reading secular authors about the stuff I'm teaching too. And that boy, the secular authors, the secular historians, especially about Daniel, I mean, they have, it, it's not anywhere. The evidence for the idea that Daniel was written in the 600s, they skip or ignore or won't reference at all. I mean, it's like, they don't know it's there. I, I don't know if it's, it's just, they didn't get taught it 
or what, but they are so, they come to the book already knowing. It was written by somebody between 100 and 200 BC as propaganda for the Jews to stand up to the Greeks. And it's, there's never a question. It's, they don't question it internally in their own heart at all. And that just, that, that's sad to me, I guess, is the right answer. They just, yeah. because that emotion is in place, there's no room to grow. And I, I don't ever want that to be, I, I want to be, ironically, I'm proud of the fact that if, if there is a free thinking group now, it probably is a Christian group or not a, I've told you about, you know, the, the free thinkers group that I, I, one of them invited me to come to the free thinkers group. And when the other members found out I was coming, they forbade me from coming because, because the free thinkers group is supposed to be a safe place for people with their beliefs. Yep. A free ish thinking. Yeah. Like, that's not free thinking. It's a hundred percent homogeneous thought. Um, free thinkers version. So free, if you agree with us thought and yeah. I don't ever want that. I just, I just, that feels afraid to me. I don't ever want to be afraid anyway, man. Yeah, no, that's a lot. Um, and it's a, it's a great reminder to not allow ourselves to straw man any point of view um, you know, about, about anything to, to hold that intention. And we don't like tension. Yeah. We don't, we don't like when, when we, you know, have, have evidence that doesn't support what we, um, have thought or have always thought or anything like that. And then, and, and we, but we have to be there and, and our, our God is not afraid of that. And that's, that's a fantastic thing to remember inside of this, that we don't have to be afraid because the one that we serve is not afraid. Um, and so we will leave you with that um, to think about. John, before you do the music. Oh, sorry. You... Hold on. Um, the uh, <laughs> I've um, been interrupted. The uh, We are doing just a little paid ever, unpaid advertisement oh, here. Oh, great, yeah. We have a number of people in our church who are not believers. Yeah. Um, and this fall... We're actually going to do a free thinkers. It's going to, we're going to call it, um, I don't remember now. Skeptics Anonymous. That's what we're yeah. calling it. I was like, it's not Alcoholics Anonymous. What is it? <laughs> um, and so uh, for that, per, it's going to be a free thinkers group where we can discuss. And I, and I will tell you a few things during our current kind of cultural crisis have, I've been proud of with Christians. And that is to get to see the Christian leaders are the ones who are able to empathize mm-hmm. in a healthy way with more than one side, stand by truth and, and love in the midst of it. And I just think it's a neat thing. Maybe this is how awakenings happen is Christians get to be the most reasonable, rational uh, group that's there. So there we are. Uh Oh, don't worry about it. That time. Yeah. Thank you all for joining us. Um, doubt is not the enemy <laughs>